Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hi, and welcome to Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. Well, before we jump into our guest is today, um, I do need to tell you guys that uh, I wrote a book and my book is called ABC Engineering and it's all about teaching kids the fundamentals of the alphabet using engineering terms. I'm really excited about it and you will find um, out more information about the book in the bio of the show. But now let's talk about our guest. So our guest today is um, Malika Grayson. Dr. Grayson is here. I can't even tell She has a new book uh, or she has a book. I don't know if she would recall it new now, or maybe she would. Um, I really am excited. Um, she is a STEMinist. She is an author. She is a STEM advocate. Um, I feel like we're going to be partners in crime, only we don't know it yet. So (laughs) I am really um, happy to have you here, Dr. Grayson. Um, Thank you again for just agreeing to be on the show and come on here and tell your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show and I was so happy when we connected. And it's funny because actually someone who you did a show with reached out to me and told me about you. And I told him, oh, no, we and I, we already connected. So it was just <laughs> meant to be, actually. And, you know, six degrees, right? Six degrees. Six degrees of separation. That's right. Correct. Okay. So as we start every show, um, I generally ask every guest to tell us your STEM story. So tell us your STEM story, Dr. Grayson. Oh, I'm... Um- how far back you want me to go, you know? <laughs> as far back as you want to take us. Well, I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. I grew up there. That's home for me, Trinigal. And I, as I was growing up, I really had an interest in the way things work, the way things, um, not just how they worked around the house, but how they were put together. I would take them apart. I wanted to know the background of of how all these appliances, how all the simple things that we use in our lives, how they really came together and how they work. And that was, I think, my first introduction to STEM, even though I didn't know what STEM was, right? I didn't know that it stood for science, technology, engineering, and math, and now art, um, when we, we talk about STEAM. And I remember trying to figure out what that meant and what it aligned to and my interest. And when I was growing up, I actually originally wanted to be a doctor, right? From five years old, I wanted to be a fixer of fixer people. And I realized that I wasn't as passionate for biology as I was for physics. And as I really, really got interested and got more inquisitive about building, about appliances, about just things in general, the mechanics behind how things work, I realized that that aligned with physics and physics was that subject that I really focused on in high school. And once I was done with high school, I pursued my bachelor's of physics 
at Adelphi University in Long Island, New York. And I actually applied there because I wanted to do a 3-2 program, um, three years at Adelphi, two years at Columbia University, where at the end you get a bachelor's in physics as well as, well as a bachelor's in engineering, mechanical engineering. And during my time at Adelphi, I was actually given the opportunity to do a summer undergraduate research experience at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it was a pivotal moment in my life because through that experience, I was exposed to graduate level research. I was paired with a graduate mentor who showed me what it meant to be a PhD student, who exposed me to PhD level research and just the tools associated with it, as well as the expected expectations of a graduate student and knowing that, oh, I can actually dig more into my interests um, and figure out what was that interest I had as a child and now as um, a young adult, really take the time to explore. And that motivated me to pursue my PhD in mechanical engineering. So I pursued my PhD in mechanical engineering at Cornell University. And there I was the only person of color in my cohort. I remember walking in and saying, wow, nobody here looks like me. Mm-hmm. And that really, really took me aback. And, you know, it affected me for sure. It affected the way I performed at first. And it was just added pressure on top of everything else, right? On top of being a PhD student, on top of trying to do research, trying to teach, trying to lead students in the lab. And I, while I was there, I pursued my research in wind energy as um, homage to the place I grew up, right? So that really motivated my research topic, wind energy in the built environment. And I remember going through to the end of my PhD and thinking, you know, there are really not many people who look like me. I remember it was difficult to find a tribe. Um, And Mm -hmm. when I did graduate, I was only the second Black woman to graduate with a PhD in mechanical engineering, the first Black American because I'm, you know, Caribbean American. And it was really crazy to me. And that is what motivated me to start my blog, Black Girls Guide to Graduate School. And I remember starting this blog just really in my living room while I was sitting down during my first year of work, thinking back to all of the experiences I had as a graduate student, all the things I wish somebody had told me. And I started writing pieces here and there. And then it dawned on me that, There were so many things that I wanted to write about. And if I really tried to write a piece for everything, I'd be writing forever. Um, (laughs) It would take forever to get to the end. And I think that was the first step in me really starting to put words on paper when it came to just writing my story. And I didn't know at the time, you know, this was three, four years ago, that it would turn into um, a book. And as I wrote more and more, I realized that a lot of what I experienced, I was putting on paper and it felt like a release to me. It was almost as if I was writing a journal and the mm-hmm. journal was meant to be my closure from the years that I had experienced graduate school. And once I finished, you know, it was just this year, really, I decided, you know what, this is something that I really want to share with the world. And that is how we got hooded. And that is the name of my book, Hooded, A Black Girl's Guide to the PhD. And it was really born from my experiences as a Black woman in in a PhD program in a predominantly white institution. It was born from my experiences, the trauma, the great times, the not so great times. And 
you know, my want to be that Black girl guide to other Black women who are trying to pursue their degrees. And that is also what led to the formation of Steminist Empowered LLC, which is my new company where I'm really focused on advocating for women who would like to pursue advanced degrees. So through Steminist Empowered, that's where I have the, the blog still continues. And I also review personal statements for free. And it doesn't have to be limited to STEM. Like I review law statements, psychology, med school. It really doesn't matter. You know, if you're trying to go to graduate school, girl, I got your back. I'm going to do this. So I go through the review process with people. You know, to date, I've probably reviewed over 150 essays. And um, it's it's been an amazing experience because I get to see the life or the lives of these amazing women who are pursuing their path, who are on their, their path, and me letting them know that you're not alone and this is just the beginning and someone already has your back. I'm already a part of your tribe. And, you know, it has been a great experience so far. Um, once I graduated, I did take a, a job in industry. I work as a systems engineer slash applications portfolio manager in the defense industry. I've been doing that for three years as part of a rotational program. So I moved every single year um, from California to Virginia, traveled. And I think what has really helped me is knowing that I can learn every day. I enjoy learning every day. So for me, I'm not tied to this one position. I think that was one thing I was really scared of when I was graduated. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do one thing for years. And I realized in the world of technology and the world of STEM, I can try something new for this year. And then I'm perfectly okay with trying something else uh, a year from now. And I've had yeah, the opportunity to do that. That's the beauty of, of having having the degrees that we have is that it, it has provided us with opportunities to sort of dabble um, in, in a little bit of, as an engineer, I think engineering, um, and this is the world according to me, um, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree, but I think engineering is the one um, of all of the four that make up STEM or the five if you if you are a STEAM enthusiast. Um, it's the one that encompasses all of the rest. And so that gives us the opportunity to to go into technology or to dabble in science in some ways and and to incorporate math into uh, um, our work. I mean, they already are. Um, and so I can I totally understand that. And it sort of adds some some excitement to to work. Right. No, I, I completely agree. You know, when I first started, I graduated as a PhD in mechanical engineering with a focus in wind energy, so fluid dynamics. My first mm -hmm. year I did software development and coding. My second year I did strategy, technology strategy. You know, my third year I went back to really technical where I had to do a lot of math, um, right. a lot of data analysis. And now I'm actually doing IT, IT management. I'm in that organization right now. Um, and that's where the application portfolio management piece comes in. And I think it's just so interesting. I would have never thought that I would have had all these experiences, you know, if you'd asked me um, when right. I started pursuing my, my STEM journey. But so I, I have another question for you. Um, and, well, maybe a couple. Um, so 
you did your, you studied wind energy. Um, and I know that there is, I just know that there's, there's conversation around wind energy. Um, some are for it. Some are against it. Some say it's too expensive. Um, other people are just generally confused about what it is. So can you give the audience um, sort of like a brief definition, a uh, simple definition of what wind energy is and, and how we might use it? Yeah, sure. And I could do that kind of from the basis of my project, because I think that's a real life example. And, you know, wind energy, it's renewable, right? When we think of our renewable sources, when we think of solar right? We, we use solar, we have solar panels, people have seen solar panels. There are a lot of places that use solar panels now, even in the U.S. Um, and then when we think of wind and we think of wind turbines, I know usually you see wind turbines when you go out in like to the West Palm Springs. I know I've seen so many and you have that enormous farm, wind farm, where you have that grid and the, the turbines are generating energy and generating electricity that can be carried across the grid to supply electricity somewhere else. So that's that's kind of the basis. So for me, when I was studying wind energy in the built environment, my goal was to show that we can actually bring our renewable wind source when it came to generating our wind energy into or converting wind energy into electricity. Um, the goal was to show that we can bring that closer to the city and actually leverage the high rises that we have in a city by placing small scales, so very small wind turbines compared to the ones that we've seen on the rooftop of buildings. And the idea is the higher up you go, if you've ever been on top of a roof or anything, or even on a, like a Ferris wheel, you notice that it's a little windier and that's mm-hmm. because you don't have the turbulence as you do when you're closer to the ground, when you're closer to the, the ground layer of the earth, right? You have all these buildings, all these trees, and so that slows down the wind. And as you get high, as you get above those layers, you realize that it's smoother. So the wind can, can essentially come in much faster and you can capture more wind as you get higher. So placing small-scale wind turbines on the edge of rooftops so that it can capture that clean wind, and I'm using air quotes, um, to generate that so that we can supply electricity, supply energy, supply whatever needs to the localized grid is the idea. At least that was my idea when it came to my research. I know there's a lot of talk in that, you know, like renewable energy, it's not constant, Right just like the sun doesn't shine all day. And so if you only rely on solar panels, what's going to happen? The wind doesn't blow all day and it blows in different directions all the time. So while you build a wind turbine or you position a wind turbine where it is really meant to work at its best face in one direction, if the wind suddenly changes, it's going to be difficult. And that's where you, you lose that kind of wind capacity and you lose what you can generate when it comes to the, the wind energy the power generation. So that's just kind of a little background on that. Got you. Okay, guys, we will be back in just one minute.
And we are back. So my second question, um, or my next question, I can't, I don't even remember what question I'm on at this point, um, has to do more with um, the idea of being the first and only, or in your case, you, you, you weren't the first and only, but you were, sometimes you were the only. And what that does you mentioned that it's you know sort of like a psychological battle and it and it and it's trauma inducing and so can you can you talk just a little bit about that no for sure um yeah so whether you're the first whether you're the only a lot of times we may not be the first but there are so many situations where we are the only we're the mm-hmm. only person in a room when we walk into that room especially as you you get high in your career right? The diversity definitely shifts and you experience a lot of mental pressure. For me, it was imposter syndrome. I felt as if I didn't belong. I felt as if I was a diversity student. Oh, well, maybe they put me here because they needed that one Black student, right? At times, even though I knew that I had worked so hard in my undergrad and I was an all-rounded student, and I did the application and I worked hard to get to that point. But for some reason, we have that battle that we fight with ourselves, but we are still going through and discounting what we've worked hard for to worked hard to, to kind of get to that point. And I think that's, that's one of the main things that we battle with when we're the only one or the first one. The other thing is just pressure from being that first or only person, right? You feel as if you're, carrying the weight of the community on your shoulders. Right. I definitely right. everybody. Felt that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like I can't feel because I can't feel for all the black women who've been trying to do this or who may not have been able to get to this point. I need to be the one to finish. I need to be the one to really, really make sure that I get to the end. And that was another type of pressure right? Yeah. Then you have that pressure coming where you probably are going to experience unconscious bias. And even though it's something that's a little more subtle, you can, you walk in a room or you're in a meeting and I shift when you open your mouth or you answer a question. And so that immediately makes you feel self-conscious. So it breaks your self-esteem a little bit because you're wondering what people are wondering. And wondering if they are thinking, okay, why is she saying this or um, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So there are all these all these different factors that play into into those type of um, experiences. And it really takes practice and building your confidence and your self-esteem to help you move past that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I went to a PWI um, for undergrad and, and know what that pressure is like, but to continue to do it, um, for graduate school and then for your doctorate, um, it's, it's, yeah, (laughs) it's quite special. Um, and to carry that pressure and not necessarily have an outlet for it. Um, and then probably not even being conscious, or maybe you were since you did journal, um, about it. Um, but I can remember sometimes not even being consciously aware that that was what was happening um, and why, you know, I felt tired. And there were just some days where you just like, I can't defend 
I can't be the voice. I am one person. And, mm-hmm. you know, I may not agree. I may have a different take. It my my take may may not be um what's what's mainstream acceptable, um, if you will. And so that adds um additional some additional pressure to right. it. And and then you, you know, I know um I can understand having like you you definitely gotta show up. You gotta show up correct. You you mm-hmm. know, so there's all all of that. And um I do want to I do. I want to say thank you for being, you know, for for just being willing to journal and to write those experiences down and to tell that story. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, it, it definitely wasn't easy. And part of what took me this long, and I would say just before I say this point to your other point, what helped me get through it was also finding a support system, right? Finding a tribe is so important because I could not have gotten through feeling like the only person or feeling that lonely without finding a support system and a tribe. And I had to be intentional. I had to seek them out. And that is what got me through to the end. And, you know, it took me a a long time to kind of start pulling the, the journaling and everything together because I didn't think my voice was valid. I didn't think anybody cared about the Black girl's experience through a PhD, right? I would start and stop. I would start and stop when I started writing because I thought, I mean, who is going to read this? Who really cares, right? And we here we are 28 days after launch and we are like a couple thousand copies sold in. And it's just people do care because it's not just about our community. It's important for our community because it gives us our voice and it gives comfort to the other black women who are going through that same experience. It doesn't have to be in a PhD program. It can be within the industry where they're just feeling like that or, or undergrad. Mm-hmm. But it also shows the people, it shows the people who aren't in our community how they need to step up and be allies, how they need to be better when it comes to advocating and how they need to really be mindful when somebody steps into their space and doesn't look like them, what what pressures that person is going through, right? It's it's all beyond the facade. So do you so there is a sentiment going around. I think I saw it on Twitter today and maybe on Instagram. And I cannot ba- vouch for the le- le- the legitimacy of it. I just saw it, read the headline. Um <clears throat> And, and read the brief article about it. Um, but there is an idea that a, um, or that we don't need allies or that we don't need white allies anymore, or they're not effectual. Um, and so I wanted to get your take on that. Oh, so I haven't seen that, but I do not agree with that at all. And the reason I do not agree with that at all is because if we look at the STEM leadership of all the Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. right? What is the percentage of people of color? You know that what that percentage is? Zero. Right. Or, or like 1% or something. It's Very, bi- abysmal is what abysmal, it is. Right, mm-hmm. abysmal. So we need to understand that in order for us to get to the next step, 
if there is somebody who doesn't look like us, because, you know, that statement kind of goes on the basis of, well, you know, my community is going to pull me up. But if your community is not up, how are you going to get pulled up? And for me, I have, and I understand that people may not want to trust people outside the community or may feel uncomfortable and they feel as if, okay, well, as a community, we have to do it ourselves. For me, I have learned that I need to have a network of people who don't just look like me, but people, people who don't just, yeah, people who don't just look like me, but people who are different from me, right? So I need to have mentors who look like me and mentors who don't look like me. Right. And people who are willing to fight the fight and to buck the norms and to, you know, I shouldn't even say buck the norms. What I should say is to do what's right. To do what's right, (laughs) just to be be a human being. And I have one of my biggest allies is a white male. A lot of the the recommendations I've gotten for awards or um, opportunities came from that white male. My job, I got that because I went to a National National Society of Black Engineers conference and the recruiting team, right, while they were kind of trying to figure out where I fit in in the company, they weren't really sure. And they told me to come back to talk to the director of engineering. That director of engineering was a white male, and he gave me the opportunity to apply for a program where the end date was really close for the application deadline. And he was like, no, you have to apply to this. And he believed in me because he saw something in me and he was like, you have to be in this leadership program. And again, this was a white ally. So I understand that people want us to do it ourselves, but at the end of the day, we are not in a position to do it ourselves, not yet. We have to really work together so that there is diversity across the board, so that you see people of color in leadership positions, so that those people can create a pipeline. It's all about creating a pipeline. And we don't have a pipeline right now. No, we don't. Um, I, I, what what I know is, is that um, women in general are... You know, they're still jumping ship. Um, they get in, they stay. I think the average I read the other day was like five years and then they're out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and that's that's just women in general. And so when we start bringing race and ethnicity in it, you know, the the stats on that are, are just as tragic. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they do a lateral move all the time where, you know, because it's just so challenging to be in a technical role, for example, as a woman of color, we we still have that struggle of getting the respect that we need as technical leaders. And right. as a woman of color, I'm like, well, I just went through all this work for all these years to get to this point. I'm not trying to struggle and get pushed back for the rest of my career. So I'm going to do a lateral move and do something different. Um, And so they tend to go into other lanes, maybe like Mm -hmm. um, program management or communications or um, something that they can still feel impactful or probably even have more impact, right, Um, than the the roles that we have been trying to kind of break that glass ceiling for the the longest time. And so we're paid less. And nobody seems to, to think that's not okay. Why 
if I'm at the same level and somebody else is the same level, why am I not getting paid the same as him? Right. Right. I always, so this is what I, in my experience, I always called it the test. And so the test was you you would show up or for me, I would show up. I was in the um, construction design build area of mechanical engineering. Um, So that's where I ended up doing um, piping, plumbing, um, HVAC plans for all sorts of types of buildings and structures from like CVS drugstores to the CDC hospitals and stadiums all across the um, United States and did some work internationally. But so, so I always called it the test. So it was almost like you had to, they had to know that you were as skilled or as technically sound as they thought they were. So you would get a test, whether that was something verbal in the midst of a conversation or that was the work, meaning, you know, they would hand you something, or at least in my experience, they would hand me something and I, you know, it's like catch the mistake kind of thing. So they just wanted, I just had that experience so often. And, um, I often wonder, because I think this is one of the areas where I haven't really talked about it much, um, but I wondered if you had experienced something similar. You mean just to kind of test your knowledge to see if you're capable? hmm Yeah. So I haven't had that. I, I And I'm trying to, so while you were talking about your experience, I was trying to think back, mm, did I have that experience? And, you know, for me, it kind of, you get thrown in the deep and they're like, figure it out. Um, and that has happened a few times. Well, right? that's the test. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And to me, we we are resilient people. So you throw us in the deep. I'm going to learn how to swim before right. I reach and ask for help. And a lot of the times, you know, I would start something and I would just, I would spend hours trying to understand it. Um, and then I would go ask questions. So I haven't had that, but it's it's very different depending on the industry, right? I could see that very well for your line of work and the industry that you're in versus like a, a software developer, for example, where they'll probably tell you, oh, write this code base or um, work on this piece of code. Let me see how it works. And I've definitely had that where I had to develop a, a tool in, you know, MATLAB is one of the tools, for example, and then somebody would critique it and tell me, you know, why I shouldn't use what I used. Right. Um, but I, I do remember when I was switching roles and I had somebody take over the role I was on. And he said something I will never forget. He said, you know, so he was having a hard time adjusting to the role. And I said, well, I didn't have any problems, but maybe, you know, you should talk to this person or that person. And he said, well. I think they were probably just nice to you because you were a girl. <laughs> and I will never forget that and what wow. he said. Yeah. And it it, it reminded me about the male ego mm-hmm. and how it's impossible for male or white male to feel as if you are just not fit for the role. And it reminds me that, you know, we go in a room and we feel as if, okay, we are fraud or we have that that um that whole self-esteem issue and majority of the people aren't as smart as we think they are. Right. Right. 
And that's one of the lessons I think, you know, to the, one of the takeaways is that if you are, I think that was the quote from Minda Hart, but, or, or maybe somebody else, but I heard, um, I saw on Twitter, she, heard, she posted this, um, where she said, I belong in any room that I'm in. Um, and it was said with such confidence that I was like, that's right. Mm-hmm. If I'm in the room, I belong there. And that's I have chosen to embrace that. Yeah. But it takes time, right? And you had yeah. to go on your journey to to get that way. I feel as if it took me a really long time to get to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm in a meeting with executives. And you know why? Because somebody sent me the email because they think I belong here. So I'm right. going to do my job and show you why I belong here. But I won't, I'm really not trying to prove anything to you, but I'm going to do my job to remind you. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, right. it took me a lot of kind of working on myself to get to that point. Same. It, it, it is a battle because I think, you know, by the time you get get there and I say there in quotation marks, because that is there is relative. Mm-hmm. Um you have been you have been been given and been have received all of these messages, whether those were unconscious or conscious messages that a you're in the room not because of your ability but because of your skin um or your race or your ethnicity and you know and sort of that does a a deal on you then you don't necessarily have the support at work sometimes to help you know to help you help you sort of talk yourself off the ledge sometimes so um, so when you get there, it's just like, okay, do I, be- do I belong here? Why right. is this why I'm in the room? And so it takes, it takes a little bit of time for you to, you know, for you to really say, or at least I'll say for me to have said, nah, I deserve this. I've earned this. I belong in this room and, and, and I'm going to do my job in this space, you know? Mm-hmm. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, tell us what's next for you. What you got going on? Man, I have so many things going on that I, <laughs> you know, I, I often just ride the wave because I am somebody usually I love to plan and I plan to plan. <laughs> so I, I plan when I'm going to plan and I have three, um, eraser boards and I use those to plan and I make notes and I have dozens of post-its and I try to plan. But if anything, if 2020 has taught me anything that, you know, planning just goes out the window. And what I've really been focused on is just embracing new opportunities. And I realized that I don't need to tie myself to one thing. I can kind of just take this risk and you know I took the risk of writing a book and now I am looking at the opportunities opening up because of that book and right. that was not in my plan so if you <laughs> told me last year what's next for you I, what's next for me wouldn't have been you know sitting down here talking to you on this amazing podcast or um, going through this virtual book tour it would have been something totally different right and I think when I think about what's next, I just will say that I really hope that it's something that that continues to give me the the amazing opportunities that I've had. And whether that means that I have to take more rest, 
then so be it. So uh, let me just say that, and I, I've said it before, but what you've done is um, so needed. It's it's so needed. There's a reason why you've been so successful in such a short period of time. And it's because people are out here hungry and looking for things. And part of it is, I think it's because we can't, we're not as connected as individual people as we normally would be. Right. So we need stuff. This book is great. <laughs> it's great. Um, and I Thank will say you. this, that I do, um, I do want my autograph copy. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, um, yes, some... I, I still have autographed copies available on my website for anybody who wants it. So. Oh, okay. Well then I'm there. Um, so tell us how to how to reach you if people are looking for you. And I know that they are. So you can reach me on social media, my Instagram at Dr. Malika Grayson on Twitter, Black Girls. So BGG to grad school, the number two. So BGG two number two, grad school. LinkedIn, just look up my name, Malika Grayson, I pop up. And my website where I have my book, I have Steminist products when it comes to T-shirts. It's MalaikaGrayson.com. That's also where you'll find a Black Girls Guide to Grad School blog and where you can submit for free personal statements um, if you're thinking of applying to graduate school. Love it. Love it. Okay, guys. So we have one. I always have one last question that I always ask my guests. And it is this. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give her and why? So I've said this a few times before, and I might, I will say it, and I might add something else to it, but I've said, never let people's opinion of you define who you become. Mm, And I say that because before, even when I was going through my, my STEM journey, I lived so much for other people and I was always worried about people's opinions and what people would think and being loud, right? In terms of being vulnerable and opening up in terms of how I feel and voicing my opinion because I didn't want to hear other people's opinion if it was negative. I wanted to make sure that I always kept their kind of vision of me happy And because of that, I lived a certain way. And I remember doing that from an an early age and it kind of just carried it through. And now I'm just, you really have to be like your true authentic self Mm -hmm. and really live for you and really not live for other people's opinions. So I would would definitely say that. And then the one more thing I'll add is, you know, I, the other day I actually posted about um, when I was applying to school and I got rejected and I got rejected from the first school I applied to. And that is actually what got me to the U S because I was rejected from the school in Trinidad. And I saw this online and I added this and I said, rejection is merely a redirection. It costs correction to your destiny. Mm. And I'm, I'm not sure who said the quote, but it has stuck with me since then, you know, that, that course correction to your destiny. Rejection is part of your success. No successful story has 
um, no rejection as a part of it. Like rejection is a part of your success. That is what makes you resilient. So take that as a learning lesson and then use it as a building block. Use it as a foundation to get to that next step. Love it. Love it. (laughs) I could not have asked for (laughs) a a better way, a better um, piece of advice to to end the show on today. Um, And so I shall. Um, Thank you, um, Malika, for coming on the show and for just being so open and authentic and available to um, tell your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Uh, All right. All right, you guys. So that is um, our show for today. And again, you um, can find Dr. Grayson on all of her social media and we will post um, her social media in the show notes. So you can go there, you can click on the links um, to her website, to her social media. And of course, please go get the book. You're not going to be disappointed. Also, so um, as we do, I want everybody to be safe out there. We have hurricanes and all sorts of other things happening at this moment. Um, If you haven't, um, please go vote. And um, you guys be safe out there. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming and Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.